Hello and welcome to this very special Q&A slash bonus slash updates episode. I am your host, David, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Craig. How's it going, dude? Hey, good evening. Things are going well. Yeah, things are going well. Things are also extremely busy in my neck of the woods. I don't know about you. Oh, yes, sir. Summer is in full force right now. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I was telling Craig before we got on um, and started recording is I have 14 yards of mulch being delivered to my house first thing tomorrow morning to go and shovel and wheelbarrow around the yard. That should be a blast. Oh, yeah. Well, at least it's not going to be blasted hot. Should be a pretty nice day to do that if there is such a thing. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting for like where the forecast shows more than one day of no rain. It's rained in Ohio almost every other day, probably for the last two straight months. And the only time we've had any weather that was even remotely decent would be like during the week. And then by the time you're done working, you know, you're not getting out there and doing much yard work, you know. So, yeah, just been kind of waiting for a nice weekend. And finally, we have one. It only took till June. Hey, like I said, summer's just getting started, so it's typical typical Ohio weather. For for those of you <laughs> that listen that are in our area, that you fully understand. It's it can be 30 degrees and snowing one day and 2 days later it can be 80 degrees. It can it's just pretty wild. Well, we had that dude from San Diego who emailed in a while back and basically said, "I don't know how you live there in that shithole weather." <laughs> I don't know either. It's torture. You get used to it. Anyway, so we have some exciting news, and it may or may not be exciting to you, the listener, but I think for Craig and I, it's exciting. So a lot of things have been going on, um, especially with my work schedule. So, you know, Craig and I both work, you know, normal uh, day jobs. We both work in the IT sector. And at at times, you know, it requires, you know, above and beyond the the standard 40-hour work week, which I think probably a lot of our listeners work more than 40 hours a week easily doing stuff, right? But the key is, um, for me personally, in the place that I work, it's been like super hot and heavy for months on end. And it's just been really bleeding into my free time to sit down to really research cases and write them up. And there's a few other things going on behind the scenes that I can't talk about right now, but it's basically given me next to no time to sit down and, and properly give you the show that I want to give you. And I feel like, you know, we've been getting a little dry in some of our episodes, um, you know, because the content just isn't as strong as I'd like it to be. That being said, um, what we are planning to do, and I think this will dramatically improve the quality of our shows, is we are going to move to a seasons format. That means that Craig and I are going to sit down for several weeks on end. We're going to research the hell out of cases. We are going to write the hell out of cases, and then we are going to record them, edit them, have time to re-listen to them, Go back and edit again if need be, which we don't do today. And that will be, I think, a vast improvement to the quality of the shows that we do. If you guys only knew how many times Craig is up editing a show at 4 o'clock in the morning on Monday to post it at 6 o'clock in the morning for you guys to digest that day, the dedication is unreal. And 
I just, I haven't been able to give it back on the other end in doing the research and writing and it's, it's time intensive. Um, so that being said, Craig, do you want to introduce the first season of Killer? Yeah, absolutely. And and before we introduce the first season of Killer, yeah, I just want to echo that I, I'm really excited about the new format. I know for a lot of people that are listening that are going to find this out on Monday, they might be a little bit disappointed because we were in a pretty good rhythm releasing something new every Monday. And, you know, it was a lot of work. I I don't know if we ever really kept track of how many hours we put into this, but I know that you would write for several nights on end to get the story put together. Then we would record it and then it would be a couple nights worth of, of editing. And just, we were doing that on a weekly basis and it seems like sometimes it felt like it was rushed. Yeah. That's how I felt too. Like I felt like we were really rushing to get something out the door. And I think we did a really good job with those constraints. But the problem is, you know, there would be things like I would really like to sit down and watch or listen to a few YouTube videos that are talking about a case that we're doing, but I might not have the time. I might just have to go strictly off of a handful of sources that I have for that case that week. And, you know, so not only do I have to read them comprehend them, understand them from several different angles, but try them, put that into a narrative and, you know, write it up, you know, it, it's tough to do. And then on the back end of that, trying to edit out Craig reading is really, really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, but yeah, it, it's a pain. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work to make it sound as good as it is because we have a lot of outtakes and also maybe someday we'll have an outtake episode that we put out there of just how ridiculous that we sound sometimes and what we do have to edit out. <laughs> Some of the stuff we obviously can't share because we, we have a unique sense of humor and <laughs> we have to be careful about what we put out there too. But, you know, that being said... Yeah, it's it's a lot of work on both ends. It's a lot of work to get a case written, get it ready, get the get that side of it edited and ready to go, and then to turn around and record it. You know, we we normally do a one take recording. We'll we'll pause right in the middle of recording and say, eh, scratch that, read this again, back and forth, back and forth. So it's it's taxing at times. Yeah, and it's actually at the point where I cannot go back and listen to something unless I'm editing it that week, but. I can't go back and listen to the cases because I sit there and think to myself, why didn't you think of that? You dummy, or you said that wrong, or no, if you would have set it up this way, it would have been better. And so hopefully going to a seasonal format will allow us to take the time to craft those episodes so that I can put the TLC into it that I really want to, to give out the product that I really want to give out. And um, that being said, you know, I also want to make it so it's a little bit more conversational. I, you know, the reading can be a little dry and I get that. And, um, you know, Craig and I don't have the best radio voices. I mean, Craig's got a pretty decent bassy voice, but I sound like an idiot. And, uh, you know, listening to us read isn't always the the best. I think when we have our conversations is when we're at our best. And so, you know, I feel like if we can make it a little bit more conversational, both of us have time to really research and understand the cases because there's been times where I write, Craig has no idea what he's coming into that week. He's never heard of the case and he's going off of strictly what he's reading as he's going on the fly. And I like that because you get a really fresh perspective that week. However, it doesn't let us ad-lib the script very well. And he can't call me on my BS if I miss something or if I say something incorrectly and vice versa. If he writes the case that week, it's usually because I'm jammed up and I have no time and I'm reading it live for the first time as we're doing the, the episode recording. So yeah, that being said, um, 
you know, we want to make, make this the best program we can. And I also think it'll help us, you know, to those of you who really hate the extra long intros, um, I think we'll, we'll be cutting back on those quite a bit to do the seasonal format and give you more of the true crime that you're here for. I do think that from time to time where it makes sense, we may continue to do the post-show format that we did before. So we'll backload all of that stuff. So if Craig and I feel extra chatty that day, then, you know, we'll hang out and uh, maybe record some additional stuff. And, you know, if you guys enjoy that part of it, I know a lot of you do. Uh, that doesn't mean we won't have our, you know, moments back and forth as we're sharing personal stories and anecdotes to the stories that we're telling. But, you know, um, it does mean that, you know, we'll we'll cut the shit at the beginning, I think, for the most part, just to kind of get to the point and get moving on. Anyway, back to the the main task at hand here. Do you want to introduce what we're going to do for season one? For season one, we are going to be covering mass murder. So we've we've already come up with a a very long list of cases that are specific to mass murder, whether it's mass shootings or you know just mass killing in general. So I don't know if you want to elaborate on that a little bit further, but that is where we're going with season one. Yeah, and um, I came up with a list of, I don't know, probably what, 10 topics, just various true crime topics, and that one was one that I know will be a little easier for us to research and get through, so the first time we sit down and do the season, we'll get a good flow, and we'll also have really good content to go by, because a lot of the stuff is fairly recent, so you'll get a really good sense and understanding of all of it. I think we're looking to do... 10-ish episodes, nice round whole number. Um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, we haven't sat down to do this yet, so I could be putting the cart before the horse, but I'm thinking that it'll be more like one episode per case. And that may mean that we do longer episodes or, you know, maybe there might be a part one or two here and there. I, I really don't want to go down the, the multi-part cases unless, say, the topic for that season is like golden state killer and you have to do 12 episodes you know or whatever um that was a, really a season in and of itself um but yeah so i'm really excited about that i'm excited to get to work on it and it just it gives us the flexibility that we need uh when our jobs get in the way of of recording and doing this hobby that we love you know so i'm excited i know craig's excited uh was there anything else you wanted to add to that no, I don't think so. I think yeah, the part that's going to be the hardest for those who enjoyed a new show every week is the waiting part. It's going to be a waiting game. But when we get to that part where we have everything finished and refined and ready to go, we're going to probably dump it all on you at one time. So for those of you who love to bench the show, you're probably going to get a whole season at one time. So Yeah, and that's what we, we talked about that a little bit. Uh, do we go Netflix on you and drop it all at once? And I think the way that today's current culture is, you know, people really like that. On the flip side of that, I can see people liking it, the you know, one episode a week. But, you know, then you got to wait another week. So the way I look at it for podcasting, um, once you put an episode out, the catalog is out there. And, you know, you can go back and listen to everything we've done all the way up to this point. So if I drop you 10 episodes in one sitting, you know. Hey, if you want to rip through them in 10 days and two days and in a week, a month, whatever, um, it doesn't really matter, I guess. So I'm kind of of the mindset that we just dump them out Netflix style and let you guys have at it. Yeah. Same here. I think it'll, I think it's going to be great. Honestly, I think we're going to have really a good, a lot of time to 
to write some good cases and to put the recordings together and really take the time to to go over them with a fine tooth comb and make sure that they're perfect. And I know I know you're a lot like me, so when it comes to that kind of stuff, my OCD is always kicked in high gear and trying to make sure it's absolutely perfect from start to finish. And that gets a little bit stressing on a week to week basis too. So it does. And the thing is, okay, so we're using a Blue Yeti microphone. So it's like the podcast beginners rig, right? And you know, they're relatively cheap, but they're good. I mean, they sound pretty decent. The problem is they pick up every single little noise. So if I touch the mic stand, it sounds like an earthquake. <laughs> and if I breathe between uh, reading sentences, you hear this little <gasps> every time. And editing that stuff out is such a pain in the ass. And I know Craig's OCD and I'm pretty OCD. He's a little, he's probably an 11 and I'm a 10 when it comes to this stuff. We're right there with each other. But I'm sitting there editing. I think I edited the last one or the one before. I don't remember. One of the last two episodes we lo- we loaded up. Um, I ended up having to cover the edit on that one. And I'm sitting there going, damn it, Craig, every time he breathes in. And then I'm listening to my side. Damn it, David, stop breathing <laughs> so heavy into the microphone. Because you have to stop, pause, clip it, stop, pause, clip it. And then you have to keep going back and back and back and like listen to the sentence again to make sure they didn't chop off half of a word. Or, yep. you know, it gets to be a pain. And I'm sure we've probably let things in through the recording that we didn't catch when we were doing it. But those are the things that I want to get rid of as we go forward. And make sure that we have a super polished episode for you every week. And uh, in this case, it's not really every week. It's, you know, every week when we release for 10 weeks or whatever the case is or for every episode we release. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And uh, I know that you guys will enjoy it. And hopefully um, the quality brings in more of you. And, you know, you go out and tell more friends to listen. And they, you know, we have a lot of people on, especially YouTube. Craig kind of just started throwing these out on YouTube for whatever reason. And just as another avenue for people to listen, YouTube is, I think it's, it's the equivalent of Twitter. Like it's just every a-hole lives on YouTube for some reason. You know, you'll get some feedback from time to time through the other platforms, you know, email and Instagram and social media, you know, where people are like, Hey, I don't really like your show. Okay, cool. I mean, it's not for everyone. I'm not going to be for everyone. I never will be. And I'm not going to beg for listeners. Yeah, I do this because I like it. Not because I'm out here for a popularity contest. And, uh, and, and Craig feels the exact same way. I mean, we bite our tongues really hard a lot of times because when you come at us and the, the way that people come at us, you know, being just kind of a dick to just for no reason, you just come out the gate, you like saying stuff to people in a way that's, it's intentionally antagonistic. That's not how I roll. And so when you do it to me, my first inclination is to just give it right back to you and not, cause I don't care. I, I'm not in it to, to please everybody. I mean, I know. I listen to podcasts, some podcasts I just don't enjoy and I just stop listening to them. Or if it's some segment of it that's boring to me, I fast forward through it till I get to the part that I'm interested in and then I turn it off, you know, or whatever. And if that's how you listen to us, that's great. If you don't like us, then don't listen. Most of you listening to this probably like us because it's a Q&A show and you're not getting a, a huge dose of true crime this week. So, uh, yeah. No, yeah, and you probably have a better YouTube filter than I do. The antagonistic part of it, really bothers me a lot more than I think that it does you. I think that you get, you're of the standing of, I just don't really want to interact with these people and keep going and keep intensifying the anger and the the spite that we're throwing out there. But yeah, yeah, like you said, YouTube's a lot like Twitter. And the the very last comment I threw out there was, you know, we're just putting it out there on YouTube just to get a little bit more traction, get a little, 
get the name out there a little bit more. It's not like we're relying on YouTube. We we benefit absolutely zero from putting these episodes out on YouTube other than the fact that it's just another platform to get it out there. So, yeah, it is what it is. There's there's always going to be asshole trolls no matter what. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, you know, we've We've kicked around the idea, I think, really early on, if we could make a video podcast out of this. I mean, it's not really a podcast at that point. It's a video. And I don't know. It's a lot of overhead for what we're doing now, you know, and being that we're barely having time to (laughs) write and do things. There's so much I want to do with this show and so much care I want to put into it that I just don't have time to do. And that kind of sucks. You know, there's a few things I won't sacrifice for this because it's not my main job. Uh, first is work. Yeah, that's one big one. You know, if I have real work to do for my real income that pays my bills and feeds my family, um, yeah, obviously then this show is going to get pushed. Uh, family is another one on that list. If family issues arise, it's going to get pushed. Um, and then the other thing, I exercise three days a week and I won't miss it. I sit on my ass eight hours a day for work or more you know, five, six, seven days a week. And I need it. If I don't do it, I feel miserable. So that's another thing that I won't really sacrifice. I might shift some things around if I need to, but you know, I tend not to sacrifice that. And I was starting to get to the point where my work was taking over. I wasn't spending much time with my family and I wasn't exercising and I was still trying to put these shows out and I was feeling miserable. To be completely honest, I I wasn't in a good spot. And then when we would get negative feedback like that, it would really irritate me then. But usually when things are going well and we're on a good rhythm, that stuff just rolls right off my back. I don't care. And that's when I realized, hey, dude, you need to calm down. You're you're burning the candle at too many ends here. Yep. 100% totally agree. So that being said, um, there were a couple of updates that I wanted to cover before we get into the Q&A section. I know we um, had asked for some questions. And the first um, update that we have is from the Molly Tibbetts case. And, you know, it's not really like um, super exciting information, but it is information. Uh, One thing, there's two updates. And one of them was, you know, mildly interesting. It was, uh, well, shit, I'll just tell you because and see what you think. So this comes from USA Today. And I'll read to you, you know, a little bit of this article. And then, you know, Craig and I will break it down. The mother of Molly Tibbetts, the University of Iowa student whose disappearance and killing attracted national attention, has taken in the son of Mexican immigrants who worked with her daughter's accused killer, according to a Washington Post report. In a story published Friday, the Post reported that Laura Calderwood brought Ulysses Felix, 17, into her home. Ulysses' parents worked alongside murder suspect Christian Bahina Rivera at a dairy farm in Brooklyn, Iowa. After Bahina Rivera's arrest, Ulysses' parents fled town for Illinois and left behind their American son, a high school boy, according to the Post. When Tibbetts' younger brother Scott asked Calderwood whether they could take in Ulysses, the 55-year-old woman wondered what her daughter would do, Post reporter Terrence McCoy wrote. Ulysses has been living in a spare bedroom in Calderwood's house. Molly's brother Scott also lives there. Molly Tibbetts was found dead August 21st, her body hidden in a cornfield in rural Poshwick County, Iowa, after a month of searching for her. So that was um, update number one. The other thing that came out of this article is that Molly's father, Rob, he said that his daughter would have vehemently opposed anti-immigration views and she would have considered them profoundly racist. 
And he also didn't feel that the family should be a pawn in any of these immigration schemes, you know, political schemes, if you will. So what what do you think about the fact that Molly's parents, specifically her mother, was, I don't know, kind, willing to take in an immigrant into her own home after an immigrant had murdered her daughter? It plays right into the, you know, the feelings of what her father just said right there at the end. You know, we don't want to be part of this political pawn. We don't want to be viewed as this. He didn't want to be caught up in that racist angle, it didn't sound like. And it didn't feel like that he wanted to be. That That's the first thing that comes up with these cases where I know there's been shootings in San Francisco. And I, I can't remember names or faces or anything off the top. But one of the first things they'll report is, oh, so-and-so who was an illegal alien in the country that should have been deported has killed an American citizen. That's the angle that they take with every one of these stories. And they didn't want to get tangled up in that. I don't blame them. I mean, whatever their beliefs are, whatever, you know, their political stance on the situation is, they didn't want to be that pawn. So, I mean, it's big of them for sure. It's a low, it's a low bar for news organizations. You know, they know the things that you click on on their website. They track them. And they know that by throwing out some salacious headline with a little bit of a illegal immigrant does X, Y, or Z, you know, you're going to get 50% of the population, well, really probably 100% of the population, um, arguing one way or the other, whichever side they're on, you know, and it, and it, it's really, you know, they try to make it sort of a black and white issue. No one, and everyone knows it's really gray. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, they know they throw that in the headline and you're clicking on it, you're commenting on it, you're sharing it on Facebook, you're sharing it on Twitter, you're sharing it on Instagram, you're running your mouth here and there. Just remember that uh, these media organizations have a very high stake in you getting a reaction. That means that you're sharing their content. It means that you're engaging in it. And then for whatever reason, people cannot see through it and they get really fired up over this stuff. And then they continue on and without actually really thinking about why you feel the way you feel. Yeah. And it sounds like Molly's family did not allow that to, to shake their, what they felt was morally correct to do. Yeah. 100%. Kudos to them. Yeah. I, I love that mentality. That's the mentality I would have. Yeah, 100%. You know, you can't hate a group of people because of one bad apple, right? It's like you can't hate the police because there's, you know, a handful of dicks who are out there causing problems, being racist you know, shooting unarmed people, like stuff like that, specifically unarmed uh, African-Americans. So you can't hate the entire police force because of a handful of bad people in it. However, you can push for change to make sure those people do get justifiably punished. Those are the things you can be working towards rather than focusing on, you know, an entire group of people. You know, that's the thing that I find fascinating in a lot of these cases. You get a group of people, the police in this case, right? And, you know, there's all these news news stories about, you know, hey, uh, XYZ police officer shoots, you know, ABC blackmail, unarmed. And everyone gets all up in arms. The police suck, blah, 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 blah. We hate the police. And, you know, if you take a step back and you think about it, if you feel like you're getting profiled that way, you know, would you want someone to hate you because of something your neighbor did? Hey, I live on the same street as this dude. He raped a girl. So now you hate me. I mean, it's kind of like that same thought process. That cop was bad. So now I hate every other cop. It's like, well, not all cops are bad. Now, 
Is there a little bit of that protect the brotherhood going on in there? Absolutely. Should there be? No. But that's what we should be pushing for. Pushing for change there. Not change in the sense of like all police are assholes. We hate them because they're shooting all these unarmed people. That's stupid. Yeah. And I don't think that from a media standpoint, I don't know that anything like that's going to change. They're they're looking for that knee-jerk reaction, unfortunately. It's not going to change because there's too many idiots biting on it. Right. Well, I agree, but I, I don't think it'll change. That's what they're – it's exactly like what you said. They're they're trying to put a headline out there that will make you click on it, will make you share it, will make you comment on it, will make you pissed off about it. That's it. It's not whether – I don't know. I have to be careful how I form my <laughs> – opinion here but is <laughs> they're they're not in it for the benefit of the actual people that are that they're reporting on that they're wanting to get people on both sides of that fence no you have to remember in every situation who is the customer the customer is the advertiser they're going for advertisers so that they can make money how do they make money getting you to see the ads how do they make you see the ads Saying ridiculous shit so that you click and share it and make other people see the ads. It's a very simple process, but people don't see through it. Yeah. If only we had the time to break down exactly how ad dollars work based on clicks and everything that <laughs> everything that happens behind the scenes, what they know about you. Yes. Based uh, on your behavior. Let me just give you one little nugget. I don't know if I said this before or not. So if I have, sorry. I was traveling for work uh, with another coworker. This coworker had been to this particular client's site a handful of times already. I'm the technical resource, so I always come in, you know, like a little bit later. So this person's more of like um, project focused and like getting people lined up, getting things going. We go to this customer's site. We leave that afternoon. We go back the next day. Then we leave. He sends me a text message with a screenshot from his Facebook profile. And it says, hey, you should friend Mr. Customer on Facebook. So the main dude that we were dealing with, it popped up into his like suggested friends feed. The way they did that, Facebook knows your location. They know his location. They see you guys keep going to the same location together frequently and staying there for X amount of time. And then they find out that, hey, maybe you know this guy. So let me suggest him as a friend to you. That's just like the bare minimum of what they're doing. It is a million times worse the stuff that they know about you. Everything you do on your computer is tracked. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Every single thing you do is tracked. Yep. It absolutely is. And from my side, just a little personal story. And I know I discussed this with you, but it wasn't here recently. It was here recently that I upgraded my wireless in my home. And I went with the Google Wesh the mesh Wi-Fi routers and you were like, hey, you just sold your soul to Google. <laughs> nothing more true than that i mean every bit and piece of traffic that goes across my router gets uploaded to google cloud i knew that but it works it's easy i get tired of dicking around with these open source (laughs) hardware garbage that i try to make work on a daily basis and i got lazy yeah i um it's tough because a lot of these big tech companies keep buying things so To go off on a little side tangent here, and sorry if you guys don't really get into tech and it's a little boring for you, but bear with me. I bought a Nest thermostat about four years ago. This was when Nest was its own company. And Nest was created by the guy who created the design for the iPod. So he was like an Apple dude. 
So it felt like a very Apple design, you know, the Nest thermostat, you know, you twist the little wheel and it's got like the spinning wheel thing, like an iPod. And it was, you know, it's pretty neat. Anyway, I bought one of those because my thermostat broke and I was like, oh, this would be kind of cool. And wouldn't you know it a year later, Google buys Nest. And I'm just like, fuck. And then I went and bought ring security cameras for my house. And I bought a ring doorbell and two floodlight cameras. Sure enough, about a year later, Amazon buys them. So now two of the biggest FU to privacy companies on the planet, uh, aside from Facebook being the next one, now have access to all this information about me and my house that I didn't even want them to have. I didn't know they would have, but because they bought the companies that I was using, now they have it and I'm not going out and replacing all that stuff. It's just expensive. And Back to the stuff that I bought from Google. I, I have a friend who works at Google, and he he always tells me that they have so much data that just goes up to the cloud from their stuff it, he, it, for no apparent reason. It, it's being stockpiled somewhere. And I read these articles about the government now is toying with the idea of trying to break up these big tech companies. Honestly, we'll get off of this subject here pretty quick because we have another update from one of our other previous cases. But what do you think would happen? If the government started fucking with these tech companies and these tech companies one day just say, okay, you want to fuck with us? We're going to have a 24-hour data center blackout. We're just going to pull the switch on everything for one whole day. What do you think would happen to this country if Google, Facebook, and Apple all said, F you, we'll see you tomorrow? Oh, man. It, It would be intense. And, okay. I'm a show for Apple. I love Apple stuff. I'm the, I'm the biggest Apple fan you've ever met in your entire life. I watch all the keynotes. I've, I've got all the betas running on every system I have right now because they just announced them all last week. Anyway, Apple's big on like end-to-end encryption. And so that means, for people who don't understand it, it means that whatever you do on your device, like if you're sending a message and you're using their iMessage platform, so that's the blue bubbles for everybody, not the green ones. So if I send a message to Craig from my phone, it's encrypted from my phone through the network all the way to his phone. And the only people who can read it are he and I. Nobody can snoop on it because they don't have the key and Apple doesn't even know what it says. So this is important because there's cases that deal with this stuff, like the San Bernardino case. The San Bernardino case, they had the shooter's iPhones, but they couldn't get into them. And the FBI screwed it up and locked it out forever. I don't know if you know this, but if you have a passcode set on your iPhone and you enter the passcode incorrectly too many times, it times you out. It's like, okay, well, you got to wait five minutes now. So it's basically to deter you from sitting here just entering a bunch of numbers into it until you try and guess the password. And it just increments until you successfully enter the password. And the... FBI must have like locked this phone into obscurity, like years probably it was saying until it would unlock. So they reach out to Apple. Hey, Apple, can you unlock it? They say, no, we can't. It's encrypted. They could have helped them had they not locked the phone completely because it, when it does that, it does some other things. And on the back end, they could have worked some magic to kind of open it up a little bit just to give them some time to figure it out. So long story short, Apple's been trying to put in end-to-end encryption for everything where they don't have the key, but the government wants them to build a backdoor. Well, what just happened a couple weeks ago? The NSA's hacking suite got leaked somehow, and then all of these hackers now have these super powerful hacking tools at their disposal because 
the NSA let them go. So you want these same people who let their very top secret hacking tools out into the wild to have a backdoor to your data? Hell no, you do not. Because what will happen is some dipshit will leak the code and then your data is now available to anybody on the internet who wants to get it. So when you hear these cases where there is a mass shooting and they have someone's cell phone and they want to go through it and blah, 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 I can't get into it because it's encrypted, blah, 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 terrorists, this and that. Don't fall for the shit. Okay. We fell for this one time. We fell for it back when we went into Iraq and Afghanistan and Bush put in all of those laws for the NSA to exist and for them to have access to your stuff. Okay. We fell for that under the guise of protection and you know, for the war on terror and to make sure that we were all safe, right? Okay. Those things are all great, but you have companies like Facebook who can figure out who I'm sitting next to in a room without having access to my data. They do not need it. Do not give it to them. It is a right of yours. The government should not have it. Do not ever, 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 ever let them have it. It is the dumbest thing you could do. I am vehemently against opening a backdoor to your data. Is there anything on my phone that I really cared that anybody had? No, there's literally nothing. You can go through my phone anytime you want. I don't give two shits what you do with it. It's the principle of it. I do not want people having this information. The only things that are valuable on my phone that they could have is potentially somehow snooping and getting my passwords to my bank. That would be the big one for me. Yeah. yeah, I'm behind you 100% on that. But in, in true killer fashion from my side, I got to put a little color on this. Now that uh, season two of The Punisher is out, they just know to either cut your thumb off or keep your uh, peel skin off your face so they can <laughs> open your phone that way. Frank Castle style, right? That doesn't work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Actually, believe it or not, we we have a very strong security group at the company that I work for. and. Their big thing now, I'm going to try to talk vaguely here, but their big thing now is <laughs> two-factor authentication for everything to try to protect your data, whether it's a password or whether it's biometrics, whether you're using your facial recognition or a fingerprint. And we actually have some pretty crafty security consultants that work at my company, and they actually were able to unlock a laptop with a fingerprint that was molded into Play-Doh if you can believe that or not. Holy cow. What kind of laptop was this? I believe it was a Lenovo brand laptop. They were. Yeah, that's why. That's yeah. why. Go Apple. <laughs> Go Apple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're the typical corporation. We have 99.95% Windows machines and 0.05 Mac machines. And your marketing department has three iMacs. Yeah. Okay. I know. <laughs> no, no iMacs. All, all, they're all MacBook Pros, but. But they were actually able to do it. I was even surprised on a Windows machine like that, that they were able to do that. I thought, oh, you're full of shit. That's not even possible. But they were able to do it maybe only one time too, but. I'm not surprised. Those, uh, it's all about the sensors you have, right? If you have shit sensors that can take your fingerprint, it's a lot easier to fake it. If you've got good stuff, it's a lot harder. Uh, That's where I think. I think they had numbers posted back when they released uh, Touch ID on the iPhones. Like that was like the new thing. I forget what it was. It was some pretty astronomical number for how many million to one chances there were that somebody else could unlock your phone. Like it was some astronomical number. And then the Face ID stuff stepped it up quite a bit, which that's pretty incredible technology. But anyway, we're a true crime podcast. Let's get back to it. Update number two. 
from the Molly Tibbetts case is that Christian Bahina Rivera, um, he filed a motion to move the trial to a county with a substantial Latino representation. So basically he's looking to move move the case out of the county in which they're currently trying to try it because he feels that he's just going to get an unfair trial. And quite frankly, he may. It's not a big area. So I could see that happening. And actually, it may have happened by now. You know, this this story was a little bit old when I pulled it and I didn't go back and check it out for an update. So that is that in the Molly Tibbetts case. Like I mentioned, we have an update from another one of our cases, the Pike County Murders. And bear in mind, I'm going to read some of the update from a news article that was posted. This was actually posted back on May 15th. And this is some information regarding the pretrial hearing that was scheduled for George Wagner III. Just real quick, I'm going to breeze here. I'm not going to read it verbatim, word for word, but says a pretrial hearing is scheduled Wednesday afternoon for George Wagner III, one of four suspected of murdering eight family members in Pike County in 2016. On May 15th, his hearing was scheduled for 1.30 p.m. in the Pike County Common Police Court. Investigators say Wagner, 47, and three of his relatives killed eight members of the Roden family in April of 2016. The suspects were then arrested in November. Jumping on down through here to the update, it says, in addition, Rita Newcomb, 65 of South Webster and Frederica Wagner, 76 grandmothers in the Wagner family were arrested. They are charged with trying to cover up the crime. We covered that in pretty great detail during the Pike County case. And all six suspects were indicted in November on the following charges. And then there's a long list of charges for each person in that case. The murder victims, Hannah Roden, 19, her father, Christopher Roden, Sr., 40, his ex-wife, Dana Roden, 37, their sons, Christopher Roden, Jr., 16, and Clarence Frankie Roden, 20, Frankie's fiance Hannah Gilly, 20, and relatives, Kenneth Roden, 44, and Gary Roden, 38. I think we covered all of those pretty closely during that uh, original go-around on the case when we recorded it. Yes, sir. And for any of those, or any of you that go back and listen to it, we, we've alluded to this before at the top of this uh, recording for the Q&A show. This is one of the shows that got lots and lots of hate for the extra long intro. So for all you YouTube haters out there that did not like our Thanksgiving dinner discussion, we're going to have a Thanksgiving special just for you this year. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, man. When you're doing a weekly release... You're talking about Thanksgiving, when Thanksgiving's happening. You know, it's very topical. Maybe we should have cut that. I don't know. I don't really give a shit. But anyway, hey, I'm going to talk all about stuffing in about a few months here. <laughs> it's going to be the stuffing hour That's right. on Killer Podcast. We're going to talk about how much <laughs> we dislike turkey and we'd rather have ham. As blasphemous as it is. That's turkey, right. that dry fucking white meat bird. They got to drink three <laughs> quarts of water just to swallow. I don't see what the allure is. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. <laughs> All right. With that being said... We're going to head on over to the Q&A. So we had a handful of questions we picked out from the audience, and we really appreciate you guys writing in. Feel free to write in to us anytime you want, anytime you have questions. We'll, we'll answer them either right there on the spot or save them for the show and answer them globally there. Um, you can hit us up on Instagram at Killer Podcast, on Twitter at Killer underscore podcast. You can email us, killerpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, feel free to hit us up there. Um, also, if you do happen to venture out to our website killerpod.net you can um you can support the show by donating uh if you'd like that's my plug let's kick off the q a so i'm going to start this thing off and i apologize if i butcher anyone's name or internet name so first question we have this evening is from corn burley and they want to know what was the first true crime story you heard saw or read that got you hooked Wow, the first one that got me hooked, 9-11. That was the first one for me. I was in eighth grade, and I didn't even know what the Twin Towers were, to be honest with you. Give you just a slight bit of background. I've grown up in Ohio my whole life. I barely traveled until I got into my corporate career, where now I've traveled to much of the country, you know, coast to coast. But before then, I was pretty sheltered in the fact that I had never really gone anywhere. I mean, been on like one family vacation, a couple with friends, like nothing crazy, right? I had no idea what the World Trade Center were. And when I was, I was in study hall in the morning and this kid um, came running in the room and he goes, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. I'm like, what the fuck's that mean? I don't even know what that means. And I didn't even know it was like malicious. And then I went to English class. And our teacher had it on TV and we watched the second tower get hit and the first one, you know, it was burning and on fire. And from that moment on, I was just like hooked into this, like what the hell is going on in this country that I live in? I just found out these buildings name. I mean, I'd seen them in movies, but I didn't really know what, you know, just skyscrapers, whatever. And I just watched them, you know, get blasted by these airplanes. And then from, you know, the rest is history. What about you? Yeah. Well, I want to chime in on the Trade Center thing. That's interesting. And we're going to allude to our age difference here a little bit later in this Q&A. But you say you were in eighth grade when it happened. I remember being at work the day that that happened. And this is actually, that was in 2001. So I was still working, you know, some normal jobs here and there. This is before I went back to school and went the corporate route. But it was very early in the morning. Not very early in the morning, but it was like 830 to 9 a.m. in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, when this happened. And I'm working a normal manufacturing job at this place, and everything just came to a stop. You know, some people listen to the radio, obviously, when they're working or whatever, and this starts getting reported. And the first tower got hit, and the rumors start spreading like wildfire. And we actually, the entire company, I think there was maybe 100 employees at it at the time, we actually just stopped. We all went to the break room and turned the TV on and was watching it much like you were in the classroom. It was like 
probably the craziest thing I've ever experienced from a work standpoint, I think I can recall. Other than, you know, from my school days, the only other thing that I can even relate closely to that was when the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up. Because I was oh, I yeah. was in the sixth yeah. grade at the time that that happened, and we would actually watch the space shuttle launches at school. I don't I don't know if our principal was a huge science nerd or whatever, but you know, we were all gathered around the TV in the classroom when that happened, and that was like, you know, what the hell just happened? What did we just witness? Yeah, well, I mean, and that was still when like there was a big allure to space travel, and we went there in the '60s. But I mean, it was what was it '69, and so. 69 to, I mean, you know, early 80s. I mean, you're still like a decade and a half. I mean, like it's still a big freaking deal because it doesn't happen all the time. You know, they didn't send someone out to space on a regular basis. So when they're sending up a space shuttle, it's like, oh, this shit's big. Like this is huge. Yeah, I think the allure with the Challenger at the time was too that they were actually had some civilians that had been- Yeah, they had that teacher, right? Yeah, the school teachers. So that's why everybody at all these schools were watching it. And then- they just happened to witness something that tragic that day. Just things like things lined up. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy because that was a little before my time. I mean, I know about it, but, it, you know, it didn't happen live. You know, and there's a big difference there. Um, you know, we just celebrated. I wouldn't say celebrated, I guess. This is probably the wrong word. But, you know, we just acknowledged the, what was it, 75th anniversary of D-Day? Yep. And, you know, you go and think about that and I I like history quite a bit. And that's, yeah, I think there's a little bit of parallel in history and true crime and the fact that there's some, a lot of it is historical in a sense. And, you know, you get the story and and you tell it and this and that. And I used to listen to this podcast. It was called A History of World War II. So if you like that kind of stuff, check that podcast out. It's a, it's a little dry because it's a lot of reading. It's kind of like what we do. I mean, it, there's no denying what we were doing, you know, when we do ours, you know, we read a lot, it it can be a little bit dry until we have a conversation. But yeah, and, you know, just going through all that, and just like, trying to put yourself in that time frame. I had heard a stat, and I don't know if it's true. So sorry, if it's not, but I had heard a stat that at that point in time, during World War Two, 11% of the population served in the war. And that is just staggering. And today, it's less than 1% are in the military. Right. I believe that's true. Or something, right? Yeah. And I mean, that was when you had the draft. Exactly. Too, right. Yeah. And they were calling your ass back then because it was a big deal. Right. And, uh, you know, it's it just, we wouldn't be here today if things turned out differently, you know? And it's just something to take pause and think about. Like, I know a lot of people don't really like to dwell on, you know, the history too much or think about it in your day to day life. But damn it. I mean, <laughs> That's one of the biggest events that ever happened in the history of this planet with people involved. And, you know, if you don't think about that and how it changed the way that the world is, you know, then shame on you because it's really important. I think history, my wife's one of those people who doesn't care about history one bit. She's like, bored, boring, whatever. And it's like, I look at her and go, are you serious? How are you bored by this? I understand not like, wanting to like get into like the ancient battles and, you know, European kingdoms and stuff like that. Like I get that, uh, you know, or ancient China, but like, what about American history? That's pretty recent. And the fact that within the last, I mean, there's people still alive from when it happened. There was a war that happened with like every country on the planet. And one country was over there annihilating a group of people at an extreme rate. 
and no one knew what to do about it. And America's over here just kind of like staying passive for as long as humanly possible. And then you think about America now, we're involved in every freaking detail of everything in every country ever because we just can't keep our hands out of it, you know? But before that, we were very pacifist. But I, I think that we're, if you go back in history to all these events, that's what put us in that position, I feel. We started out as a pacifist, you know, what do we do with this situation? We inserted ourselves into one, and that expectation trickles down. Like you said, there's people alive that have lived through all of this. People that fought in that war, you see them on the news. My grandparents, for instance, I, I, that's one of the greatest things I like to do. Partially, I'm a history nerd, and, and I have grandparents that are old enough that have lived through every piece of that from the time they were a child, and I think it's just fascinating. My grandfather was born in 1930. He was born when the Great Depression started. He's seen the end of World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. The guy was born before televisions even fucking existed. Just to think about that. And cars had only been around for, what, 30 years at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously, just think about that. He graduated in a class because back then there was these little high schools, the region that we live in anyways, there's these little high schools everywhere because there wasn't a busing system to get kids to school. People make jokes about it, but they did have to walk to school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. It was a totally different time. I mean, you think about the stuff that, that guy didn't have back then and the stuff that exists today. I mean, you're talking about cars that can drive themselves versus cars that you had to crank to start them. Yeah, they ran on the <laughs> fucking And people died engine. because the cranks would spin so fast, it would beat you in the head and knock you out. I mean, that was a thing that happened back then when these inventions were new. And it's just incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. But that's that's all led to where we are today. So the history and the way that we've involved ourselves with things from generation to generation, that's where we are. It, to me, it's... We could definitely do a history podcast. We should maybe do some killer history sometime. Nobody steal that idea. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's really cool. But back to your question about what true crime story, you know, piqued my interest or got me hooked. I wouldn't say it really got me hooked because I was pretty young when this happened. And I'm not selling out to Netflix and all their damn docuseries and this and that. But I I was pretty young when the Ted Bundy thing was going on, when it originally was happening, when it was in the news. And mm-hmm. when he was on the loose and they were looking for him, to me, that that kind of kickstarted that itch for me to learn more about these guys at that time. So that that's where it kind of started for me. And then even then, you think about that when that happened originally, there weren't cell phones. You know, I think the only people that owned computers during that time were probably government agencies that had these rooms that were a one computer filled an entire fucking room. <laughs> yeah, to do yeah, stuff. Yeah. So that's probably where it started for me. Yeah, th- there was another one or two in there, like in my. I, I would say nine eleven is what really got me into the like the whoa, like this is crazy. Um, and then like other cases from there on out, kind of you know would pique my curiosity. But the other, you know, the the two big ones that happened before that, but I I knew about them, but I was just slightly too young to get hooked. Were OJ and uh, Jean Benet Ramsey. Those two happened, you know, and oh, and, and Columbine, you know, those, those were really big ones that happened during my childhood that I was aware of, but didn't really fully understand until a little bit later. And it was probably past the point, you know, and then I got a little too old, um, to, to get vested into them at that, 
at that point. You know, I was still young. It was interesting. You know, you'd hear the updates here and there, but then um, I didn't dive into it. But anyway, we should probably move on. The OJ, I will say the OJ one was a good one. I I remember watching the chase on TV live as it happens. So I was sitting there (laughs) drinking beer. I was 21 at the time and (laughs) OJ's run driving slowly down the highway or he's got somebody slowly driving him in the white Bronco. That was a good one too. So nice. All right, let's do the next one. All right. This comes from Megan Thurm. How do you guys decide which cases to cover? So Megan, that is a good question. We, we, when we started out the show, there was a lot of discussion back and forth about, you know, what cases should we cover? You know, how much do we put into each case? And we actually just started out with a list. We just started listing out things that we thought were interesting to cover. And one of the really difficult things I think as we decided to, to cover cases was we didn't want to do, at least from my side, it didn't feel like we wanted to overlap a lot of the other podcasts that were out there. We tried to pick stuff that was unique that would maybe pique somebody's interest and say, hey, I really haven't heard a whole lot about that. Let's do that case. And we had a few of those where I think some of the more random cases like John Paul Knowles and some of the other ones, which I thought were really good cases, but they were just just random ones that we wanted to get out there to try to to get some new material out there in front of people. Then we had the more common cases, which, you know, we agreed we definitely need to put our spin on it. But Yeah, for me, um, it really just depends on the mood I'm in, honestly. Um, I try to mix it up a little bit. It, uh, sometimes we were picking cases like the week of mm-hmm. <laughs> an episode, and so that was a little rough. And it, and it would just kind of depend on some things. I'd, I'd get some feedback, suggestion cases, which I do appreciate that a lot. Um, I don't always get to sift through them. I try really hard. So some of them are like, you know, requests from listeners, which I tried to do a few of those just to say, hey, you know, thank you for submitting something. And I thought it was really interesting. So I would take a look at it and we'd do that one. A lot of times I would tell Craig, hey, pick one that you think is interesting this week. Run with it, you know, do what you got to do. And he would pick something. Um, we did a lot of local Ohio cases because we've heard of them and they were, I felt like kind of low key compared to some of the other things. Golden State Killer, I always wanted to cover that case because that case really fascinated me from the first moment I had heard about it, which wasn't all that long ago. And it was one of those things where I was just in shock that nobody had heard about this and, and that I hadn't heard about it and it had been that old. You know, you usually hear a little bit about all those things and that one was out there. So, yeah, just I mean, I try to mix it up. I try to do things that are a little bit different. Like I don't want to do too many disappearance cases in a row. I don't want to do too many that are like similar, like where the profile of the people are too similar. or The stories are too similar. Um, You know, I try to spread it around a little bit, you know, going through, you know, disappearances or female killers or unsolved or, you know, there's you know, various things I was trying to do, trying to stay away from some of the cases that the bigger podcasts have covered or recently covered. If they did them a while ago, I'm okay with it. But if they just released an episode within the last year, I'm probably not going to do it because, you know, they're really good at it. And, you know, I didn't feel that we were up to snuff. Now I feel like, especially moving to the seasonal format where we have a little more time to craft the episodes, I think we're going to put out a hell of a podcast for you guys. I'm really excited about that. So yeah, there you go. Um, kind of on a whim. And, and oh, the big one. How much material is there? Um, there are a lot of cases where I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. And you go look it up. And there's like five news stories about it. And that's all you can find. And it's like, well, I'm going to be out of info in about 10 minutes into the case. And then what are we going to do? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think the material is a big part of it. It's I really like the cases that we put together where we have a lot of material to look up and try to pull certain pieces of information from certain sources. And then we also have live media that we can put into the cases because I think it it just makes it overall it's a good recipe for an episode. And obviously some of those I think so too. Obviously some of those cases we're not going to have that live media, but yeah, there's um you know there's something to be said about when you can pull audio for a case from a news story or from a press conference and play that during the case. Podcasts are auditory. And there's something about hearing from the people that are literally involved and then breaking out to people who are unrelated and getting opinions and feedback. There's just something about it that I like. You know, I find that fascinating. So I always really like that when a case can go that route where you can do that kind of stuff. Um, Early on, I was able to like really edit in some pretty decent like intros and, um, you know, do some stuff with news stories and throw some custom music in under there and stuff. Uh, But then I kind of ran out of time for a lot of that stuff going going forward. So hopefully we get back to it. So we'll move on to the next one. This is from Umbrella Ann, and I think this is yours. Yeah, Umbrella Ann asks, is there one case that got you interested in true crime? Well, I would say not one in particular. Um, again, I would I kind of think that overlaps the first question a little bit. Uh, but I would say the one that made me want to turn into a true crime podcaster was the East Area Rapist Golden State Killer. As soon as I heard that case, I'm like, hmm, there's so many good stories out there. And they're very fascinating. And I want to talk about them. So I would say like, from uh, just the standpoint of podcasting uh golden state killer for me yeah i i don't have one in particular I, when we start first started talking about doing this show i think both of us have a fascination about reading about some of these people and just trying to figure out what makes them tick and that's really where my interest lies and interestingly enough most of the people i had read about in the past we have we haven't even mentioned or covered yet because they're you know obviously the more popular cases the the john wayne gacy's the e. Jeffrey Dahmers, the Ted Bundys, the Charlie Manson, even though I don't know that Charlie Manson actually ever killed anybody himself. We've had that debate on the side before, but I, I always <laughs> found it super interesting just to read about these guys, what makes them tick, why to find out about their life history, how their life started, you know, and how they, how they got to be where they were or do the things they did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I listen to a lot of podcasts from different topics. And uh, when I would listen to true crime ones of cases that were unknown to me, I was always fascinated by those. So those tend to be like local cases for a lot of people like, you know, local to Ohio, you're not going to hear a lot of this stuff in another state. Uh, You might, or you might know about it loosely, but you might not know all the details. And um, you know, that would happen from time to time. I'd hear a case from like, oh, I kind of heard about that. But there was a lot of stuff I've never heard of as I started really digging in more and, and feeding my appetite for learning more about these things. So yeah, uh, it wasn't really any one in particular besides for doing the podcast, the golden state killer was the one where I'm like, I need to talk about this. Like I really need to talk about true crime. Agreed. The next question, and this I'm going to probably butcher it's Hochi witchy gypsy. They write in and ask, what is your favorite serial killer and why? That's a morbid ass question. <laughs> yeah, that is. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I got to think on this one. 
I don't know if I want to label any of them my favorite. <laughs> it is morbid. Let's 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 reword this. <laughs> Which serial killer fascinates you the most? Because I would agree, favorite is a weird word <laughs> for for a serial killer. Because none of them are my favorite. These people are all demonic. Right. I don't know. I'm gonna. I, I don't have a favorite per se, or one that I am. You know intrigued by more one than the other. I honestly, I, I think after some of the cases that we've covered and some of the ones we know that are more popular, I was really fascinated with the the Pork Chop Rob case. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Matheny. No, Matheny was, yeah, he was just a big, arrogant, bloated <laughs> thunderhead. But I think Pork Chop Rob, that case really turned my stomach when we talked about some of that stuff. Some of the stuff that he did, I, oh, well, yeah. we really broke down what he did and how he carried some of these things out. I just can't, it takes a lot to get me squeamish and queasy, but that, that dude and seeing him in the interviews that we watched where he was in the police station and basically walked free. And we talked about it during the case where he was free to, to kill and do his thing for two more years after the fact. It's just amazing to me. Yeah. Mine is the aforementioned Golden State Killer. Uh, the reason being is I am fascinated by the fact that this guy, you can see his entire evolution from petty criminal to murderer, and then he just goes off the radar. That is so bizarre to me until he gets caught. Yeah, And that, the way that he got caught fits the entire thing because he was so crazy that it was the craziest way you could catch somebody. It was the like first major case broken by this uh, genetic genealogy stuff, and he just oh man, it just it, it, I wish I wish this guy was not such a bitch and would talk. I would love to hear the details. Uh, I mean, I know that sounds kind of weird and <laughs> morbid in a way. There's just something about this guy, and I know there's a lot of people involved and families involved and people who have been hurt by this. And so when I say these things, I'm not discounting that. So just keep that in mind. But what I am saying is this guy, just the way he operated, he was so strange but so meticulous. And I just want to know, like, what was in his mind? What was driving him to do these things? Because he was a maniac. He was, but he carried on and maintained a normal everyday life on the flip side of that. And to me, that's what's crazy. That's exactly it. He acted like a normal ass person. Nobody reported him. The only person who may have known was his wife. Right. And she isn't talking. I mean, I think she's talking to cops now because she filed for divorce and now they can actually ask her questions. But before that, she wasn't saying yeah. shit. So the guy's essentially caught red handed. And I wish, I wish he would talk. Like you said, he is a bitch and he's probably not going to say a word. But if he was to ever open up and just tell his story from start to finish, I have a feeling that it would probably be a thousand times better than the Ted Bundy's tapes. So Netflix, they need to get on that. They need to get somebody on uh, that. They need yeah. to get, they need to find somebody that can crack this guy and make him talk because I think it would just be, like I said, a thousand times more interesting than the Ted Bundy tapes were. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. All right. The next question, which is actually question followed up by some comments was from Kathy Pickles. She wants to know, when did you two meet? The age difference is cool. I have a friend who is 20 years younger than I, and we are good friends. Are the evening recordings better for you both? Will you be giving updates on some of the unsolved crimes? 
if and when there are updates. So there's a few questions there. Oh, and I would definitely wear the meh shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Craig and I met when we both worked for a, um, shall I say, jelly company. So we worked there. Um, Both started, you started a little after me, right? I started and then you started. About eight eight years Um, ago. Yeah, I think you came in though into the company a like few months after you did a few months after I started there. So I started out, um, I had a job right out of college and I worked there for literally two months before this company contacted me and the company I was currently employed at at the time was in, in Beachwood. So it's, um, I want to say what, 30 minutes east of Cleveland ish. And it was like over an hour drive for me every day. And when there was snow, you could double that. So it was like two hours. The first day I went to work, it was two and a half hours there, two and a half hours home. I was miserable. This company contacted me from a resume that I had submitted like months ago and out of the blue. And I'm like, I told my then fiance, hey, I don't think I want to interview with them because I'm tired of interviews. I had already done all this stuff just out of college. And she's like, hey, idiot, why don't you interview with them? Because it's probably a way better place to work than driving two hours every day uh, one in one direction and then two hours back the other way. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do what you say. And so um, sure enough, I ended up there and Craig ended up there not long after me. And we both worked for the same team doing different things. So uh, there was like a larger team and I was kind of on a different sub team than him. And, uh, I, I, what was it? We didn't, um, I don't think we really started talking to, we both ran into each other at a Foo Fighters show in Cleveland one day. Yeah. That's how really how we started, you know, relationship outside of work, you know, a friendship or whatever it was. We did meet at the Foo Fighters show. And I think a couple of days after that, I don't remember, you may have sent me some message about something for work. And I think I replied with something completely unrelated GIF in the instant messenger with Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> and then that was just... <laughs> It escalated from there. <laughs> the gifs have not yeah, stopped. Yeah, the gifs have uh, never yeah. stopped. <laughs> yeah, it was a. Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, and then yeah, then we realized we had a lot in common. Um, we had the same sense of humor. Would brag on coworkers in secret, or accidentally send coworkers strange IMs that were meant for each other instead of who <laughs> we sent them to. Uh, you know, we'd have a good time at work. Uh, you know, I don't think there's off. quite 20 years difference between the two of us, but there's... No, how old are you? I'm going to be 45 in a couple months. All right, yeah, you're 45 and I'm 31. So about 14 years, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's kind of how it started, yeah. And we got in trouble, I think, a couple times at work for, you know, not even necessarily talking about somebody or spreading any kind of rumors. I think I'll I'll tell the story real quick. We were sitting, we had a horseshoe shaped table in a room team room meeting where we went in and had our weekly team uh, updates or whatever. And we had a guy on our team that had a, one of those shaved heads that looked like he put turtle wax on it every day. (laughs) And somebody had pulled the blinds and just enough to where the sun glare come off the top of his head and what hit me in the eye, like a mirror. And I was, I like winced. I sent you a message. Our director noticed that we were chuckling about something and wanted to know if we had something to share with the group or something like that. I don't remember, but, and the guy knew we were laughing at him. <laughs> That's just kind of the shit that we did at work. 
He hated us. No wonder we never got anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it was uh, it was one of those things. Um, Craig was an instigator. He's super quiet, but this dude talks so much shit you'd have no idea. So you got to watch out yeah. for him. He loves to talk shit to people. I'm, I'm a first level antagonist when it comes down to talking shit. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was we had, we had a good time there, and then uh, you ended up moving on. I uh, got fed up with the company because they kind of sucked, which they did. Uh, they changed a lot from when we hired into when you ended up leaving. And then not long after that, I ended up leaving and I went somewhere else. So we're no longer employed at the same companies. Yep. All for the better, though. We get to work at home and still basically do what we were doing at the other company. So Yeah, except we don't talk shit about people we work with because it doesn't make sense now. But yeah, we just basically you know talk shit about other stuff. But anyway talk shit about youtube idiots no <laughs> yeah that's right we talk shit about all you listeners no um yeah the meh meh t-shirt uh that's a great idea i'd like to do some merch at some point i don't think we have quite the audience that i'd like to have before doing that it's a lot of time and effort and craig and i have to figure out a lot of complications on the back end of that a how do we sell them b how do we ship them c how do we split the revenue taxes all that fun stuff so there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that has to go into it and i will I, I i do plan to make shirts uh i just would like to get a few more people interested in the show before we do that uh to make it worth our while because i'm guessing we're not going to make all that much money in relation to the work effort that it will take which is fine it's not really about the money for us and so um obviously i like to make money but you know that's not why we do this obviously or we would have quit a long time ago the shirts are a good idea. I mean, I think your your wife had some made for you for this past Christmas, and people ask, it says, hey, is that your show? Yeah, it's it's, it's a cool way to advertise, in my opinion. So, oh, it's great, yeah. It might not start out as shirts. It might start out as something smaller. It might start out as something like, hey, we'll start making stickers or, you know, buttons or something, just to see how it goes before we dive headfirst into it. Yeah, and if we do something like that, it'll be like an order fulfillment system where we take in orders for so many weeks and then we cut it off ship them you know because you know craig and i aren't going to have the money to front inventory on that kind of stuff and, and boring details for you guys but it'll be something like that and it'll be probably not too long but you know in a little bit hopefully after maybe after season one yep I, i'm i'm thinking that we will have a, a podcast of the quality that i would hope to um deliver from season one and hopefully we get a big enough following from there that we can then release what we want going forward. Yep. Fire to sunshine writes, what do each of you think is the most interesting murder slash disappearance so far? That is a great question. For me, it's going to be one of the disappearance cases that we cover. And I think it still kind of sits with me as the Jameson family case that we covered. Hopefully I didn't steal your thunder there, but there were so many unanswered questions. I mean, they did find the remains of these people in it, but they have they have essentially have no idea how they were killed, who killed them, and it's still a cold case. So that's really one of my more fa most interesting ones, I think. Yeah, I um I'm actually gonna go on something we haven't covered yet. Uh there's two of them. One is yogurt shop murders and the other one is bylo murders. Those are both kind of similar in a way. Those are really fascinating to me. The, the yogurt shop murder specifically, you know, a group of people working in the yogurt shop late at night got murdered by some people and no one knows who 
when or why or how. <laughs> well, I mean, some of those they answered, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just a complete mystery as to who did it. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So that's mine. Okay, cool. And the next question, or I should say comment, is from Keithy74. And he simply says, meh. Well, Keithy74, as you may know, I'm assuming you heard our rant about meh and know that we both love that comment. So, you, <laughs> sir, in the most possible, nicest way, thank you for saying meh. But, as David always calls me, you are a dick, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that in the nicest possible way. <laughs> yeah. You're a dick with affection. <laughs> uh, it's a term of endearment if one of us calls you a dick. You've, you've been ingratiated into our inner circle at that point. You almost sounded like you said dick with infection, but I'm not going to go down that road too much further. <laughs> Is anyone still listening? Uh, <laughs> All right. Party with Vic writes in, um, what are some cases you definitely want to cover in the future? Well, I'm a little torn on this because I don't like to really give away too many details. I would assume it'd be safe to say, as sort of a teaser for the upcoming season, you're probably going to get something out of Colorado that's pretty famous. And I'll leave it at maybe that. Maybe we don't want to give up cases we're going to cover in the future. Maybe we want to, do we want to talk about some of the other seasons that we are planning? We've already talked about what we're going to do for season one with the mass murder thing, but do we want to give any mm. hints to, future seasons or do we want to keep that in the back pocket too well you don't have to hold us to them because they could change uh um, we could we can give out the ideas we've kicked around some of them yeah uh let me pull this up here i am trying to remember where i saved it yeah so uh a couple of um like broader topics for season ideas um we have our cults international and disappearances. I think those are three I'm willing to give out. Yeah. And keeping in mind, I think we're going to stick to that theme for the season. So I think it's going to be a fun time when we get to the cult one, because there are some crazy motherfuckers out there. I'm just going to be playing. I'm just going to be forthright with saying that. I mean, obviously we're dealing with yeah. crazy people in a lot of these cases, but when you start talking cults, we're probably going to start pissing off a lot of religious people too, but. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I got a fire coming out my butthole. Google that and you'll you find the video. Asbestos diaper. <laughs> you need an asbestos diaper. <laughs> what what's his name? Pastor David Manning. Google that man and look at yeah. his YouTube videos. You will have a good time. Yeah, you you will have endless entertainment. <laughs> that that man is great. He's my favorite YouTuber. Him and Tourette's yeah, guy. brings me to tears. <laughs> I think what the one, just to give you guys a heads up. So uh, if you're not into the type of humor Craig and I are, then you'll probably hate this video. But if you would like to watch a video where they put a counter on how many times a preacher says butthole, you will enjoy it. Yeah. I, didn't they do a 10 hour loop of that too? Or something like that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, someone has a 10-hour loop of him giving this one specific speech. I'm actually probably going to go back out to that YouTube video and give that guy kudos who put together a 10-hour loop of this guy. Because whoever has enough dedication to put together a 10-hour YouTube video, kudos to you, buddy. 
I think you should leave him a comment that just says, meh. Yeah. That's my go-to <laughs> comment for anybody that I really don't want to engage any further. So you'll see lots of mehs out there on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. We have one last question from one of our listeners we're going to cover tonight. Um, and it's from Spencer Galore. He asks, what do you all do for day jobs, if you don't mind me asking? And he also wants to know, also, how does one go about getting into the podcast game? I have lots to say about various subjects, and I'm not sure how my radio voice is, but I'd like to give it a shot. Well, Craig and I both work in IT doing different things. I don't want to get too much more specific than that. So I do like more development kind of work. Craig, what do you do? That's fair. I, I work on the security side of IT. Yeah. And uh, as far as getting into the podcasting game, so it's pretty easy nowadays. There's a few different options. The the, the one Craig and I are still rocking with is our original setups. Um, we bought, bought some uh, Blue Yeti microphones off of uh, Amazon. I think it was like $100. A uh, pair of headphones. And the hardest part was figuring out a way to record both of us so we could hear each other. And that way we could both hear any sound effects we play or news clips and getting that to sync up and editing. So those parts suck. And it's a lot more technical than I want to sit down and discuss on here. Uh, we both run on Macs and use software called Audio Hijack. So that'll give you a really good head start if you need to do it. It depends on how complicated your podcast is. If it's you alone by yourself, very easy. If you're going to engage with another host or interview people, that's when it starts getting very difficult. Just to get into the weeds a little bit, Craig and I both record our own microphones locally. We were at one point recording both of us talking over a basically a Skype call and then doing that, but the audio sucked and it sounded way better when you would just like take our two microphones and merge them together. And so that's what takes so long to edit is you first have to go through and line them up and then you have to go through and then clean them up. And then you go through and basically do like one edit where you just edit out all the garbage. So um, when you do cleaning it up, that's like taking out like extra background noise and stuff like that. But then you go through and do the edit where it's like, oh, um, I misread this paragraph of this thing I was talking about. So now I've got to go back, chop it up. It's a lot more cumbersome than you would believe. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. And then for publishing, we we use Anchor right now um, because it's free. Uh, essentially, we got into it as cheaply as we possibly could because we weren't sure how long we would stick with it and if we would like it. And we just want to make sure that we, you know, the investment wasn't super high. I would love, you know, if after say we say we do season one, do a bang up job, get a huge following, I would like to invest in some new mics that we can. Um, you you don't hear my creaking chair the entire time. Right. And you don't hear me uh, taking a breath in to start my next segment. It sounds like I'm going to suck your face off through the speaker. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm a notorious <laughs> mouth breather. And that's probably the worst thing that I hate about editing myself is I'd love to know how many times I've had to edit my breathing out to, so, to <laughs> sound like I'm inhaling the microphone. Yeah. In through your mouth, out through your butthole. Yeah. There's <laughs> some outtakes where it's coming out the butthole too. We have had. Let's be completely honest here. We've had to edit that out too. So <laughs> we'll keep that to ourselves, though. Yeah. But no, but no. Like you said, I, I think Anchor was a, a really good find for us. Probably the probably the best thing we found along the way. We started out with SoundCloud, and 
what did we do? Like two episodes of our first show and we were out of space and they wanted to charge us. <laughs> yeah. Something stupid like that. Yep. So Yeah, Anchor's free. You can put up as much as you need, as high quality as you want. I like it. A lot of professionals use Libsyn. I don't really know what the big draw to Libsyn is, honestly. And it was a lot more complicated. And the great thing about Anchor is they publish it to all the platforms for you, but not YouTube and not iHeartRadio. I think those are two we do separately. Or you added them. You added iHeartRadio, I think, into Anchor, right? Yeah, I, I added iHeartRadio in manually, and there's no feed in. We we don't get any kind of statistics or metrics on YouTube. YouTube is completely isolated. So, well, we get them. They're just from YouTube itself, not from like it doesn't conjoin right. to any of the stuff that's in Anchor. And what's cool about Anchor is they have a dashboard. They do some stats, some basic stats, but their stats kind of suck sometimes. They update them and break them all the time, which is kind of a pain. But hey, it's free, so what do I care? I'm not charging advertisers by the right. <laughs> you know, we get and that's the other thing is um, we have enough of an audience that we make a little tiny bit of. I mean, literally a tiny bit of money, like. We're probably averaging negative $5 an hour <laughs> when you factor in all the time that we spend on this for what we've made. Yeah, it's not a ton, uh, but it does have some ad placements you can put in there and make a little bit of money. We don't work for Anchor, but they they, they have a monetization platform on their on their service that you can you can record a quick 30-second ad, and, that, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard that at the beginning of an episode or in the middle, and it's pennies on the dollar per thousand listens it's not much at all yep all right guys well that being said i think we're going to wrap up this week's uh q a session and um you'll probably hear from us i'll i'll give some updates over social media on occasion but it'll probably be a little while before the first season gets launched so until then reach out to us and don't forget to stay safe Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.